Hi there, I'm Matt Ashburn, host of the Needlestack podcast. Needlestack is brought to you by Authenticate, creators of the go-to online investigation platform, Silo for Research. If you're looking for a way to conduct research anonymously, protect against cyber threats, all while avoid tipping off your investigative targets, then you want to try Silo for Research. The Silo Research platform completely isolates your online web browsing, allowing you a choice of location and digital fingerprint, and also has built-in workflow and automation tools. The best part is that Silo for Research is software as a service, so it can be used from any computer or location without the need for things like virtual machines, standalone networks, or, or dirty networks. To learn more about Silo for Research, visit Authenticate.com. That's Authentic with the number 8.com. Um, and what happened was there was a guy called Hugbunter, um, who's just kind of a, a random person on the darknet who ended up creating this alternate version of Reddit on the darknet um, called Dread. Welcome to Needlestack, the podcast for professional online research. I'm your host, Jeff Phillips. And I'm Aubrey Byron, producer and co-host. So joining us today is Sam Bent. Welcome, Sam. Sam's a DEF CON speaker. He's an author, YouTube content creator, and a paralegal, which we'll get into. Hi, thanks for having me on. Sam, you're passionate about dark web OPSEC or operational security. What does operational security look like on the dark web? So the same thing it looks like in a context of a you know, military or, or a cybersecurity forum. And that's just looking at what you have, what data that exists that's out there about you or information and limiting that data being out there or that information being out there. It's essentially depriving your adversary, whoever it is, um, of intelligence. And it's been a while since we talked about the dark web on this show. Uh, we should mention we're going to go into darknet marketplaces and, uh, you know, how it can be used for narcotics and other sorts of illegal activity. But we should mention there are legitimate uses for the dark web, such as subverting censorship and dictatorships and um, a free flow of information. Awesome. Well, let's let's go um, a little bit in to uh, deeper into darknet. So Sam, you have experience as a former darknet vendor who was actually caught on uh, uh, in what you were doing online and, and served some time for that. How did your, ex how did that experience um, affect your outlook on intelligence gathering and, and the flow of information? I know you're now, I should say, mentioned earlier, besides the darknet, you know, you're, you're passionate about OSINT. Um, so, can you tell us a little bit about how that all came together? Um, sure. Yeah. Um, well, um, through bad decision making, pretty much. <laughs> um, having a background in, in cybersecurity um, and, you know, being in a bad circumstance and making the decision to do narcotics trafficking, you tend to go with um, you know, what you're familiar with. And for me, that was that was doing it from a cybersecurity standpoint. Um and that was, you know, pretty much the dark net. That was that was the the outlet that I ended up going down with it. Uh, how I actually got there was a culmination of those things of mm -hmm. understanding about um, operational security, um, mm -hmm. information technology, 
um, and InfoSec, all those things kind of combined um, together to create a perfect storm um, for me to make this wrong decision and mm -hmm. uh, start trafficking narcotics on the dark net. But now from a cybersecurity perspective, um, we were talking earlier a little bit about, you know, why, you know, different people should be, well, when you look at the Darknet and, and OSINT and, and why it's such a valuable information source, um, can, you, can you talk a little bit about that from a cybersecurity perspective? You know, why as a threat intel analyst or a SOC analyst, um, you, you, you might want to pay attention to, to what's going on out on the, on the dark web? Yeah, I would, I would liken it to um, any other landscape where there's a vast amount of information or knowledge that's put out by um, people who, you know, know what they're doing. Uh, so, you know, for example, a lot of the people that you mentioned, they're going to be fans of DEF CON, right? Like they're, gonna, they're going to uh, attend those kind of conferences. Why? Because there's a ton of valuable information there or interesting things that, um, that they think are awesome. And, you know, that's, uh, that's why they attend. And it's kind of the the same idea with the dark net, except it's not a, you know, actual place you go to, but it does have a ton of information um, and a ton of knowledge and um, some, you know, scary things um, <laughs> along with that. So, so uh, it's just, it's just another place with information. It's like, um, you know, I guess looking at it and saying, you know, why is it valuable would be the equivalent of looking at the internet in 1992 and asking that same question. Sam, you talked about kind of your path to becoming a paralegal. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, as I think, I think any, you know, red team or blue team um, individuals out there can appreciate the, the ability of looking at something and trying to reconfigure it to have a different purpose or make it do what you want it to do, which for me is the definition of, of hacking. Um, it's not something solely related to, you know, computers, uh, you know, you have like phone freaks and whatnot, but, but, you know, when you were a kid, you, if you took apart clocks and, and put them back together um, for alternate purpose, you were a hacker uh, by definition, repurposing anything to come to that, um, to come to a different end is exactly that. Um, is, is, is hacking. It doesn't have to be in a cyber realm. It doesn't have to be any of that. Um, so I just got totally lost in a train of thought. What was your original question? <laughs> just about uh, how you became a paralegal, but that's a very interesting perspective on it. So um, becoming a paralegal for me was a kind of an evolutionary step, I guess you would say. Um, when I ended up going to federal prison, um, I you know, after being in, cause when you first go in, you go into solitary for, you know, seven to 14 days. Um, so after, you know, being there, it didn't take long for me to put together, like, um, this isn't a place I really want to remain. Um, so, um, I started using the, you know, the most powerful thing in the world is information. Um, anyone who's innocent you know, knows that there's, there's a lot of inherent power in information. So one of the places in a prison that has the most information is the law library. Um, and I spent many hours there educating myself on a daily basis. Um, and I got to a point where I was able to write my own motion, file it, and um, actually won my freedom after 18 months when I was, I was supposed to be in for 60 months. Um, so uh, wow. there was, it was, and it was all thanks to, you know, information that, 
that was out there that was free. Um, so it's thanks to OSINT. But it's it's looking at things from that perspective of trying to get information in order to complete an objective or a task. And we all do that. We just do it in different ways and not in as extreme situations. Um, but it, it really goes to show you, you know, once you take on that mindset, whether you're looking at, at it from a, like a hacker's mindset um, or you're looking at it from the mindset of, you know, an OSINT practitioner, um, that at the end of the day, you can do some really powerful things uh, with these skills. And they're not things that are simply limited to, um, you know, like online, you know. Uh, you're, I, I would I would argue like some of the, the original, you know, people, collectors of OSINT were putting cups against walls, you know, listening to elders negotiate in tribes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's, that, it was just, it was, a, it was an evolutionary step, I, I guess I would say, in my um, hacking and, and OSINT methodologies. You also had mentioned um, in, uh, that during your time there, you uh, and there were other people in for narcotics, but you were the only dark web or dark net vendor that you met. Um, why do you think that was the case? Um, so low hanging fruit. Um, and what I mean by low hanging fruit is when, <clears throat> if I was to take five people and put them outside with signs that said that they were selling an illegal substance, you know, depending on what city you're in, <laughs> there's plenty of cities where they open air drug markets and nothing's being done about it. But, um, you know, depending on where you're at, uh, that could get shut down almost immediately. Um, and then if you were to ratchet up and have a little bit more security now, it's not openly advertised, um, the lifespan of that drug trafficker is probably going to go up a little bit um, because they have less risk now. They've mitigated that by upping their security. Um, and they've done that by restricting information, which is OPSEC. Um, it's restricting information to your adversaries. So when you take that to another level and now they're no longer texting, they're no longer using, you know, mediums with no encryption um, and they're not using the clear net and they're not using social media um, for trafficking, you're taking it to a whole nother level where now you have, you know, now you're using encryption and, you know, all these other things that, you know, while law enforcement has the ability at, you know, to some point to be able to intercede and make arrests, if you do the research into these arrests, what you'll find is that most of the time it's for, it's very stupid OPSEC mistakes. Like, uh, like for example, um, you know, because we're talking about OSINT, if, if you looked at the, the headers, um, in, I, I think it was Alpha Bay at one point, it had the admin's email address in there, you know, um, like his clear night email. Um, so like that, that is a massive OPSEC issue, but it's, it's freely available, right? So anyone could have seen that information, but it's stupid mistakes like that, that typically end up bringing down darknet vendors, darknet market admins. I worked as both. Um, so those little mistakes are the are, are massive, massive problems. So when you're saying, you know, we're going to take this race car and we're going to race it on this beach, but we have to make sure not one grain of sand gets into this high performance engine. It's a massive undertaking, especially when you're the only one who's doing the work, you know, like with a lot of companies, 
IT, cybersecurity, those are teams of people, you know, and sometimes they're teams of hundreds of people. Um, so it's like, okay, well, now it's just you. Oh, and you're also in charge of logistics and every. So it's a, it's a, it's a very big apple to try to swallow. But for the people who take that challenge, again, they are significantly restricting information that gets out there. So to answer your question, I think you see a massive reduction um, in arrests going from, you know, regular drug dealers, street dealers, to middlemen, to, you know, the, the darknet vendors because of the assistance of that technology and the intel, more so the intelligence that goes into, that goes into it. Cause if you read, you know, we look at, we have to have like a quote from Sun Tzu to really nail this. Um, it's like, you know, the general who does more calculations at the end of the day is going to win. So, you know, one of my favorite sayings is that, you know, a fool with a, with a plan beats a genius without one every time. Um, I think there's, there's a lot of truth in that. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, and at the same time, I'd like to you know make clear that I like um I don't I don't advocate for anyone to to do drugs. I don't um obviously it's not a it's not a good thing you know. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, it's it's idiotic to think that you can stop it. It's like you know well if we do really good job with cybersecurity, we'll eliminate you know nefarious hacking. It's just it's not going to happen. Um, and I think it's I think it's um foolish foolish to think so but um but it, it's a it's a massive massive world that exists and it's one that is completely removed from the normal world that exists right. so you know if if you could look into an alternate reality that's pretty much what you're doing you know one with very little regulation or rules like like your average agorist is going to love the dark net you know, um, because they can, they can vote with their dollars, right? They, right. there's, there's no, there is no regulation. The government's not regulating anything. Um, and what's, what's crazy is you're going to have more harm reduction there than you're going to have on the streets. Do you think it speaks to the sophistication of law enforcement? Um, sort of like how few of these dark net vendors are getting caught? Or do you think it's more just that there's so much on the street physical crime already that they just don't have as much time or resources to look into it. I think, I think we could um, pretty much bring up Twitter and plug in anything about San Francisco. And, you know, at the end of the day, we could pretty much see that, um, you know, crime, whether it's on the dark net or in, in, you know, real, the real world um, and not to hate on San Francisco, just an example. Um, you know, there's, there's a ton of crime everywhere. Um, and, and even more so like, Cause I've had, I've had people, you know, have the argument, well, like, you know, you're a criminal, like what you did was illegal and that was wrong. I'm like, okay, but there's a massive difference between doing something morally wrong and doing something criminal. And at the end of the day, everyone, including everyone on this podcast is a criminal. And it's like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. what do you mean by that? Well, if you look at a lawyer, a lawyer studies for at least seven years, right? To be a lawyer. Um, and at the end of the day, they're not a lawyer in everything. They're a lawyer typically with one or two specialities, right? So maybe civil or maybe intellectual property or criminal or, but they pick a specific part of the law. They don't know all of the law because you would have to be an LLM too. <laughs> you know? like, so for us as people who have never went to law school, um, are not lawyers, um, to think that, we can somehow 
know every single law and follow it is absolutely insane. And there was a there was a Harvard study called Three Felonies a Day, I believe. It was a book by a Harvard professor called Three Felonies a Day, um, where he talks about how your average citizen commits three felonies a day and, and are completely unaware of it because the right. crazy amount of, of regulations and, and laws that are just the tax code alone, you know, um, no one here can quote me the entire tax code. Um, I, I put 50 grand on it. Um, but that's, but that's my point. Um, and when you have that much crime where literally everyone's a criminal, um, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, how would how would anyone you know police that? I mean, I'm like, <laughs> I I wouldn't be able to you know even with the the resources that they have. And you have to figure like on the dark net, we're not just talking about federal law enforcement here in the United States. You know, we're talking about federal law enforcement like like Dutch, the EU, like uh, all these different agencies that actually some of them have joint operations together, um, coming together, and even then. They, there's not a whole bunch of change effectuated unless there's a really stupid OPSEC mistake by a vendor or a market. We've mentioned OPSEC. Can I turn that around a little bit? Like if it, it, as compared to like the OPSEC of uh, a darknet vendor, but on the other side of it, if you're a, you know, a, a, a fraud analyst or a, a threat intel analyst, can you talk like I don't know what you use on your system and you know to protect yourself? So if you go on the dark web, right? It's it is the wild wild west. Um, is there, are there things you recommend or do on your end when you're accessing as compared to saying I just downloaded Tor and I go on my work machine and I just go surf the dark net? I mean, can you talk a little bit from that perspective? Yeah, sure. Like if you're if you're if you're in an environment and you're like I don't know if I'm doing everything that I should be doing then you shouldn't be in that environment. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, I mean, that's the best advice I can give anyone. Cause it's going to be timeless. <laughs> you know, um, like, uh, if you find yourself in a place, say you go to a party and you're like, you're uneasy about it. You know, that's like, that's your mind telling you there's a problem. There's something happening. Maybe you're not aware of it consciously, but there's an issue. Um, mm -hmm. so if you find yourself in a electronic environment where you have those same kind of feelings or you're unsure then you probably have a bigger issue. Um, and it's not necessarily what browser you're running, what OS you're running, but the intellect you have to fully understand what information you're actually putting out there, making available to OSINT practitioners <laughs> um, to, to grab up, uh, whether it's for federal agencies, criminal gangs, whatever it is. Because at the end of the day, the me, I use a Google as, as a criminal, I would use a Google dork exactly like a fed would <laughs> like there's no difference. You know, it's like, it's like people make the distinction like, Oh, you know, black hats and white hats. And it's like, they're both using the same tools, but at the end of the day, it's the intent that's different, you know? Um, and that's how, that's how, you know, I would, I would go about saying it. I would say that if you're in that position where you're not sure, then you need to learn more about it. You know, if it's like, well, you know, maybe it's like, well, I read, I read about DNS leaks. Maybe I have a DNS leak, you know, and, and, and I'm using Tor on my mobile device. You know, if you look up Tor on a mobile device and you go to Reddit, you're going to find real quick that people are like, listen, don't use mobile devices. <laughs> you know, um, if it's Apple, it's because you don't, it's not really Tor. Uh, it's, it's Apple's version of it. Um, and if it's Android, it's because, you know, Google has spyware in those devices. And I've, you know, I've seen people, 
well, you can, you can get de-Googled phones and like all that. But again, at the end of the day, if you're in a landscape and you don't understand what the problems are or what your potential vulnerabilities could be, then you need to learn more before proceeding because you're in a very dangerous spot. You know, not knowing is a, is a, so with OPSEC, you're, you're controlling your information. I'm controlling what my adversary is seeing for my, but if I don't know what information I'm putting out there, I can't have OPSEC. If I don't know what OPSEC is, then it's a whole different, it's a whole different level. And then, you know, information technology is kind of a drilled down uh, aspect of OPSEC where, you know, we're talking about encrypting your device. So, you know, your question is more of, you know, the specifics of things, which I would say is more of like a InfoSec uh, related okay. question than an operational yeah. security related question. You know, so they, they both, but they complement each other very much, you know. Um, but going out in a threat landscape where you're looking at those different kinds of things, you really need to analyze and know what's going on. And that's the, the really difficult part of it. And that's why, like, a lot of, you know, you have departments that handle InfoSec and, and you know, whole policies are created for that. And um, that's kind of the, the fun challenge of being a darknet vendor and a darknet market admin was doing that as one person against, you know, agencies where their data collection methodologies in some cases are classified. Like, mm-hmm. how do you anticipate that? You know, well, you just expect the worst. Like you, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, you get way paranoid and you try to say, what level of technology could they have or what level of technology would I have if I had billions? How would I spend it? You know? Right. Um, and you don't, you don't know because your adversary, again, it's classified information, but, but you know, like they have black budgets, but, but you can, you can go out and you can learn enough to be able to keep yourself safe. And that is applicable in any situation, whether you're at a party, you know, it's like, don't, you know, if, if you're a female, don't leave your glass unattended, right? Um, you know, if someone walks up to you with a drink that's already open and you don't know them, you might want to be careful about accepting it. Um, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of red flags that if you go into any environment and you know, you're, because your adaptability is higher, your, your survivability for that situation will also mm-hmm. follow. Really quick, you mentioned DNS leaks. Could you just quickly define that for anyone who might not know in the audience? Yeah, Sure. So um, if we were to bring it back to like, a, let's say back in the day when we had 411, right? Um, or, or, or the yellow pages. Um, and uh, you know, anyone who's under 20 or what, I'm sorry uh, for the, the old school uh, references. <laughs> but, but, um, but basically, like if, if I wanted to call you, um, I couldn't simply just, if I didn't know your number, you know, I couldn't pick up the phone and dial your phone number. I would have to know the phone number. Um, so I would have to look you up in a separate directory, whether it was a phone book or calling a separate number to get your actual phone number. And basically how DNS works is when you type in, say, um, you know, twitter.com, you're not actually going to Twitter. You're hitting this separate directory that's saying, hey, what's the IP address for Twitter? It's giving that IP address. Then you're going to that IP address. Twitter is just a way for your human brain to be able to remember it because trying to remember like 128.386.261.48 isn't practical for any human being. Yeah. So with those, with those DNS leaks, basically what I was talking about is 
if you were using it and you had a DNS leak with Tor, um, if I'm monitoring your traffic, I might be able to see the sites you're requesting that DNS information from. So I might be able to see what it is you're asking for. And if I have your DMS, DNS compromised, I might be able to send you the wrong site. Um, and so I could infect you with malware. There's a whole, that's a whole nother topic. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, so it's, uh, it's important to know what the possibilities are, um, and, and the problems that you could face. So for example, like for me, mitigating that issue would be like, okay, well, I'm first off, I didn't have Wi-Fi at my, my house. Um, so I was like, if I need to check transactions, if I need to check orders, I'm going somewhere else or I'm using a long range antenna to grab someone else's Wi-Fi so that if I do have a DNS leak, it doesn't matter anyways, because I'm not actually on my Wi-Fi. Right. So all those kind of things are, are the insane things that, that, you know, you try to plan for because you're, you're playing the adversarial role. Your nemesis is the OSINT practitioner. They're the person looking for that information that's out there. That's, you know, freely available, you know, and uh, there are times when, when OSINT practitioners won't just look at, you know, OSINT, <laughs> they'll, they'll do other things to find, <laughs> to find that information, um, whether they're ethical or not is a whole different, you know, matter, but, but that's my point. Uh, you're, you're, you doing OPSEC is basically the opposite of what the OSINT practitioners, you're trying to protect your information and see what data is put out there, while the OSINT practitioner is trying to find information and put it all together. Yeah. So we've been talking kind of and using the term dark web pretty broadly. You mentioned Tor. Which dark nets did you operate on and do you have a favorite? Yeah, so Tor. Um, I operated exclusively on, on Tor. Um, I do like I2P, which is a separate um, anonymity network called an overlay network. Um, the distinction, like, like a dark, to me, a, a a darknet site is one that sells products or whatever that are illegal. There's, there's an exchange of, of commerce there. Um, whereas with like deep websites, they're, they're not necessarily, there's no maybe transactional information that's coming in. They're maybe not, they're not, they're not there for financial gain, but it's for separate reasons, but it's just not categorized or crawled by Google. Um, that's your deep web. And then your clearnet is, is, you know, Twitter and, and everything else that we know, LinkedIn, all that kind of stuff. Um, so those are the kind of the separations. And then once you get down to like those darknet sites, like we were talking about, you know, you have different overlay networks, which are networks that go over your typical clearnet network that give you that extra reach out to be able to see these other kind of sites that are out there. So like with a, with a tour site, you would need the tour browser or, if you're more security conscious, Tails, which is what I would advise, which is a whole operating system that fundamentally runs on Tor when you start it up and is kind of pre-hardened and, and set up in a way that um, you have a lot more security as opposed to just running the, the Tor browser. But you're, you're going to figure out what you're actually worried about by setting up a threat model and figuring out who are your adversaries and then planning ahead based on that. In your DEFCON talk, if we could kind of go back a little bit more into the OPSEC threats uh, in general, um, you mentioned one being linguistic analysis. Can 
Can you talk a little bit about how that works? Sure. Um, so if I can identify, like maybe, maybe I'm from a certain area and, you know, um, like, you know, Canadians, maybe say a boot a lot. Right. Um, or, you know, I know people from the, the East coast, specifically Boston area will drop their R's when they talk. Um, or, you know, but you have all these different dialects from all these different areas that can be used to drill down in an anonymous environment who you're actually talking to. And you saw that um, with the inception of like anonymous um, on 4chan when they would go back and forth. I might not know you, but you might always say the same kind of thing or phrase a certain thing. Or maybe you always spell there wrong, you know, <laughs> um, and over time, even though we have no user account, I can kind of figure out when it's you that I, I'm talking to. So on the dark net, you have that kind of thing, but, but on the dark net, there's a, you know, what, what, what you're risking as a participant is, you know, the potential of decades in federal prison. So when law enforcement's looking at stuff like that, you know, they're looking at those, those linguistical keys of how you type, how you talk, when are you online, all those things can kind of add up. Um, and what's interesting is enough is there are some tools, um, in, especially in, uh, I think it's Hunix, um, that actually assist in nullifying those kind of, those kind of linguistical attacks, um, where they operate as counters to them. I couldn't break down the, the manual for those, but if you wanted to look at anti-linguistic analyzing tools, they have them built into Hunix, which is a, a distribution of, of Linux that's freely available um, and centered around anonymity um, and, and not privacy. And those are two distinctions, too, because we might hop online and we want privacy. Like me, as someone who no longer does any, any criminal stuff, um, you know, I would like to hop on and I would like to be able to go and check my email and, and do all that kind of stuff and not get targeted advertising, right? Um, so I get that by having good privacy practices and cyber hygiene. Anonymity, though, is the same but also different. Anonymity means you're completely unknown, whereas, you know, instead of just, just your traits are unknown, it's you're completely unknown. So, so you have a, a, a difference between those two things, too, the, the privacy and, and anonymity, and that's why I'm very specific um, when I say you know, the, a lot of those, those, those systems, whether it's overlay networks or specific Linux distributions like Tails or Hunix um, are primarily driven for anonymity, you know, not um, privacy. That's a really important distinction that I don't hear a lot of people make, actually. I agree. Um, as a Midwesterner, the Ope is going to give me away every time, though. That's the <laughs> Um, you mentioned the forum Dread, uh, which is a darknet forum. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what you can find there? Yeah, sure. Um, so Dread's been around uh, for a long time. Um, on Reddit, there used to be a, 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 sub, a subreddit um, called uh, Darknet Markets, and it was, it was abbreviated DNM, uh, and then Markets, uh, places. I think, um, if memory serves, it's been like five years. So um but what happened was kind of out of the blue, um, Reddit just shut it down. They shut down a bunch of other uh, subreddits that, I mean, these aren't small subreddits. You know, these, these subreddits have 
hundreds of thousands of people. So, but they just cut them off the knees. They disappeared. Um, and what happened was there was a guy called Hug Bunter, um, who's just kind of a, a random person on the dark net who ended up creating this alternate version of Reddit on the dark net um, called Dread. And when you go on there, there, there are categorizes just like in reddit you have categories right you assume i have like chat gpt you might you know all these different categories of different things when you go on dread on the dark net it's the same thing but they call them sub dreadits you know a little play on words um <laughs> but so you have these sub dreadits um and it's a place where people go and they talk about dark net markets they talk about opsec they talk about um kind of all these these things that that we're discussing um, but these are people who, you know, they don't want, maybe they don't, maybe they have a Reddit account, but they, they don't want what they're discussing to be out there on Reddit or they don't want their Reddit account to be banned. Um, or they just want complete anonymity when discussing these things. Um, so, you know, they, they hop on this forum to, to do that. Um, and you know, now they just, there's a, um, there's a, uh, another site on the dark net now called pitch. And pitch is basically Twitter. Um, and it's um, what happened was Twitter had, for the longest time, Facebook has a dot onion, which is when you go on the, when you go on tour and you go on a, uh, uh, a deep website or a dark net site, it ends in dot onion, right? Not dot com or dot net. And it's, it's a unique um, address that specifies that you're using tour. Um, and that's how you navigate different sites. And they all end the same with dot onion. So for the longest time, and, and Facebook still does, um, have a dot onion. So like you can access Facebook again, if you want more privacy, cause you're not like if, if you made your social, uh, your Facebook profile and you go and you access it, you're not going to have privacy cause it's your identity. <laughs> like your information's already out there, right? Um, you've, you've already used your Gmail to create it. They know who you are. So, um, but it will give you a semblance of privacy because they don't know where you're logging in from now because you're using the Tor network and Facebook has a legitimate, um, um, dot onion mirror. Whereas Twitter, for the longest time did have one and it lapsed and they didn't renew it. Um, so what happened was one thing you tend to see with the dark net is if there's a problem, someone steps up in the world to take that problem on. Um, they usually don't make any money from it. It's just a, it's a community thing, which is kind of the cool niche things about the dark net community is, is, is it's very, it's it's intrinsically kind of capitalistic where if there's a if there's a hole that needs to be filled they'll fill it but the interesting thing is it's not always you know it's not always done for money so like with this new site pitch um it's basically twitter on the dark net um and and you know they've they've been like hey listen like twitter didn't want to you know renew their dot onion so we're going to go ahead and just create our own infrastructure um, and they did. And so you see like really kind of crazy spinoffs like that. Um, and, and it will be, it's a very small site right now. It's relatively new. Um, but it will be interesting to see how that progresses in terms of, uh, uh, uh in terms of OSINT, excuse me. Um, because I think, you know, a lot of OSINT practitioners right now, they use Twitter. 
right? Like they, you know, they use Twitter. They use like uh, with with the whole the conflict between um, Hamas um, and Israel. The some of the first news to break was was on Telegram and on Twitter. Um, it wasn't on CNN. <laughs> it wasn't on, right. Um, so you know that's where that's and that's you know people want their information immediately and they they want it un, you know semi unfiltered and and um, you know no spin put on it. And, and right. polished. So, so I think you see this movement towards this because it's more holistic and in line with, with human beings um, as a whole. So it, it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting seeing the, the kind of the similarities on the dark net, but removing a lot of those fiscal motivations, you know, because, because at the end of the day, it's going to take you a ton of time to manage a site like that. It's going to cost a lot of money. The server has to be hidden. You know, there, there are a ton of costs associated with that, um, not just time, but also financial. And then you have the, the intellect issues where it's like, okay, how do you set up Twitter? Have you done it? Mm -hmm. I haven't. Like, so it's like, there's a whole, whole host of issues that, that arise. So it's, it's an interesting challenge for the, uh, intellectually insane, I guess. <laughs> I, I want to go back. You know, we mentioned, you mentioned, uh, again, we were hitting on OPSEC, but also the capitalism, capitalism side of things on, on the dark web. Um, I take it you dealt with crypto and, and now we also talk, you know, got a passion in, uh, on the OSINT side. So, you know, can you talk a little bit about your experience with crypto, maybe, you know, leveraging it in, in, from an OSINT capacity, um, doing chain analysis, those types of things? Yeah. So the only thing I can really speak to is, is what I've done. Um, and the one thing I didn't do, um, ever was use a tumbling service, um, the so basically a tumbling service is like if if I went out and robbed a bank and I got a bunch of these notes from the bank um, and if I if I gave it to a money launderer maybe they they go they get rid of them all and they give me back notes but all the notes have different serial numbers now so it's it's cleaner but they take a good portion of that for that service you know they're gonna they're gonna want money for doing that. Um, and you know, be anywhere from 1% to 25%. Like it, it, it can, it varies. Um, just like in capitalism, anything varies. But, um, so when you're, when you're dealing with that, you know, first off, they're taking a huge piece. But remember, if we go back to what we were talking about with OPSEC, um, with OPSEC, we're controlling what information we put out there. If I say, hey, here's a service that does tumbling, can you tell me if the, what they're doing is legitimate? I couldn't, right? Just like, like uh, you know, I hear people advocate for the use of a VPN with Tor. Um, and I see the, the Tor developers saying not to do that. Um, they also say, do do it if, if you're well aware of everything that's involved. But that's a big amount of knowledge to to fully understand. So... Um, like for me, when you look at it from the standpoint of like, do you use a VPN? Like as, as from that criminal point of view of, I'm going to use the dark net for criminal activities. Are you going to incorporate a VPN into that? For me, the answer was always no, because no company is going to resist a subpoena that's been issued to protect your data. And you don't know what they're saving. Like, like people be like, well, this company says they don't have any logs. I'm like, okay, cool. They don't, they don't log anything. How do they remember customer data? How do they know you're a premium member? 
what are you talking about? You know, like, like, these are, like, these are fundamental questions. Like, you know, in the server room in Venezuela, do you know what's in there? Do you know who controls it? Do you know if the guy in there is a gambling problem? And, you know, like, there's a, there's a massive amount, you know, of risk that's involved with something like that. Whereas if I use an anonymity network or an overlay network like Tor and I drive to the next town over and use someone else's Wi-Fi, and my my MAC address on my computer is spoofed. Your MAC address is like a hardware address mm -hmm. um, inside of a computer. So I can spoof that. So now there's virtually no traces of who I am when I connect to anything because I'm connecting on a totally different um, wireless network. My MAC address is that of a printer. Um, and, you know, like like it's it's you're getting to a point where trying to figure out who I am is going to be ridiculously complex or you're gonna have to do just a ridiculously amount of illegal stuff in order to to actually do it um and i think i got totally sidetracked from where your original question was well i was just no that's great on the opsec side and then i just didn't know if I, if you had any thoughts on the osin side you know uh, i mean we know crypto is not completely anonymous right it can be it, it can be looked into. It can be an information source, I suppose. Again, I don't know how to do it, but <laughs> um, and haven't done it. But I was kind of coming at that side. I got you now. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so instead of the tumbling service, what I would yeah. do is I would take my Bitcoin because Bitcoin, whenever you get it, wherever you send it, it's all logged, right? It's all in the blockchain. Right. Every transaction is saved. Um, so. So even if it's like, well, they can't, you know, right now, I don't have to worry about that because going through every single transaction, they can't possibly trace, you know, my transaction. And it's like, okay, yeah, maybe not now, but if it's saved, I mean, do you think they can in 20 years? You know, like there's, there's a reason Signal just upgraded their encryption, you know, like, <laughs> um, so, so, you know. Going forward, that that was my concern. It's like maybe it's not available. You don't have the resources to comb through all of it right now, but will you in twenty years? And yeah, probably you will, because um, we didn't really have AI. wasn't five years ago. No one wasn't even a thought really, um, unless you're a researcher. So for me, I would take my Bitcoin that I got from this market, and I would trade it for XMR or Monero because um, it's a privacy centered coin. I would exchange it for that. I would get that. And then I would exchange it back for Bitcoin. This way, with the chain of evidence, it would be severed. You're not, you're not figuring out the, the Monero that I got um, for, in exchange for that. Um, and then, you know, you're not making that connection back. And that was, that was essentially how I would, I would launder, you know, my money. You know, or alternatively, I would just buy, um, you know, narcotics to sell in real life, you know. Um, cause that was another option, but, but you have, you have like those, those ways of preventing OSINT, um, again, all come back to having good OPSEC. Like it's, it really, it's probably a horrible comparison, but like, I think there's a lot to be said for like red teams, um, which do offensive security to try to break into places and blue teams, which defend against it. I think we see a lot of those same parallels, um, inside of, you know, the, the OPSEC versus OSIN. Um, mm. Because, you know, a lot of times those, those OPS, you know, those people who are those uh, OSIN practitioners are the ones going out there trying to find that information that's out there that someone left, 
you know, mm-hmm. um, whether it's, it's a court system, it's an individual who made profile, whether it's a guy who, you know, put up pictures and he didn't remove the metadata out of his pictures. So now like, you know, we got, um, we got, you know, tags like, like, I mean, I've seen like some of the crazy ones is like, you know, a guy takes a picture of a drug like this and uses it as a picture on the dark net. And, you know, the, the FBI or the, the feds can look and they can see his fingerprints from the picture, you know? <laughs> like, um, and that's like, you know, we, I mean, I think, I think a lot of OSIN practitioners already know about like, you know, metadata and like, um, you know, if, if I take a picture, it can embed information about my camera, my, my location, stuff like that. A lot of social networks will scrub that stuff um, nowadays and they'll right. clean it. But the other thing to remember is like, um, like PDFs, right? Like there was a, there was a story. I watched a Sands talk. I want to say it was by Matt Emerson, um, who's a fantastic speaker, um, for Sands when it comes to, uh, OSIN stuff. Um, and, uh, he was talking about going in and if it was him, he was talking about going in and there was a, a PDF that anonymous had, published shortly after WikiLeaks cut off support. Um, I'm sorry, PayPal cut off support for WikiLeaks. There was a, like a threatening PDF that was sent that basically said that they were going to destroy them. Um, and what they did was they looked at the, like everyone always thinks about metadata for pictures, but it's in videos, it's in PDFs. And they looked at the, the, the I'm sorry, the EXIF data, not metadata, the EXIF data inside of it. And it had the guy's name who owned the Adobe product that created the PDF. Um, so, you know, they went and they showed up his house. Um, so it's like, it's not just, you know, pictures and, and you have it in videos and you have it in uh, EXIF, right. IF data. Um, you have it embedded in all these different things. So there's a million of those little things. So, you know, when you're, when you're coming at it from the opposite end um, and you're looking at it from the OSINT spectrum, the nice thing is with OSINT, if you screw up, and like, you know, maybe you look at a certain file and you didn't catch the EXIF data, you know, but you have 30 pictures. You can always check the next one, right? If you delete it. Um, but on the other hand, if you're looking at it from the operational standpoint, like operational security standpoint, you can't screw up multiple times. You only have to screw up once to, to screw up everything. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, with OSINT, you can miss a few things and you're still all right. But that's really the, the cool thing about OSINT is, is I could take someone who's never done it before and sit them down and be like, yeah, these are Google dorks, you know, or this is Maltego or, you know, here's, let's go to, let's go to GitHub and just punch in OSINT and just grab stuff that shows up and play with it and see what it does, you know? Um, and, and like you can, you, you can really, someone can learn a lot just by doing that. And then if you incorporate that into like, you know, if they have an issue, um, say they have an issue installing one of these issues, uh, one of these programs. They plug it into ChatGPT or whatever, and now they're getting debugging information on it. So they're learning about configuring things. They're learning about setting them up um, in addition to being able to retrieve that information. So it's like a multilateral learning session. Um, and that's the really, I think, the beautiful thing about yeah. OSINT. So... Before we wrap up, I wanted to ask, you mentioned a few tools just now, but do you have any favorite tools you recommend for OSINT researchers or just advice in general? So if I had to pick two, um, I would say Spiderfoot and Multego. Those are those are probably my two favorites. And Spiderfoot's just, 
it's just so ridiculously big that you could you can do a lot of stuff with it. And a lot of the stuff I think that um Multego limits or makes you pay for, um, you can get away with in, in Spiderfoot. And the other cool thing that I like to do is Multego used to, they, they used case file for a while, which was like kind of the just to view what's made in Multego. Um, what I do is like if I grab entity data or if I grab, I hop on a site and I got a bunch of info. Maybe it's like your email address, your Facebook, like all these different links. What I'll do is I'll, I'll put it into ChatGPT. I'll be like, take all this information and turn it into Multego entities. And it'll turn it into textual entities, which will say like, you know, it'll be like Multego, URL, you know, um, pound sign, then like the information. And it will classify the URLs, the names, the email addresses into text. Then you can copy that text, go into Multego, hit paste, and it adds all those entities in um, if you don't have the ability to find them and have them integrated in right. Multego. Well, awesome. Well, Sam, thank you so much for chatting. Sure, thank you for having today. me. This has been super interesting. Um, and of course, thanks to our audience for listening. Uh, if you like what you heard, you can view transcripts and uh, other episode information on our website, authenticate.com slash needle stack. Uh, that's authentic with the number eight.com slash needle stack. Um, be sure to let us know your thoughts on X, formerly known as Twitter. We're at NeedlestackPod, and to like and subscribe uh, wherever you're listening today. We'll see you next time with another guest and more on professional online research. Thank you. Thank you.